Hello everybody, welcome to the Naked Security Podcast. As you can hear, I am not Doug, I am Duck. Doug is on vacation this week, so I am joined for this episode by my long-term friend and cybersecurity colleague, Matt Holdcroft. Matt, you and I go back to the early days of Sophos. The field you work in is the cybersecurity part of what's known as DevSecOps. When it comes to XOps, you've been there for all possible values of X, you might say. Tell us something about how you got to where you are now, because it's a fascinating story. My first job at uh, Sophos was a Lotus Notes admin and developer and worked in the then production room. So I was responsible for duplicating floppy disks. These were real floppy disks that you could actually flop. (laughs) Yeah, the five and a quarter sort. Yeah. Back then, it was it was easy. You know, we had physical security. You could see the network. You knew a computer was networked because it had a bit of cable coming out the back, and it probably wasn't networked because somebody had lost the Terminator off the end. So we had nice, simple rules about who could go to where and who could stick what in what, and life was fairly simple. So these days, it's almost the other way around, isn't it? If a computer's not on the network, then it can't do much in terms of helping the company achieve its goals. And it's almost considered impossible to manage because it needs to be able to reach the cloud to be able to do anything useful. And you need to be able to reach out to it as a security operations person via the cloud to make sure that it's up to scratch. It's almost a catch-22 situation, isn't it? Yeah, it's completely flipped. Yes, a, a computer that's not connected is secure, but it's also useless. It's not fulfilling its purpose. It's almost better to be continually online so it can continually get the latest updates and you can keep an eye on it and, and you can get real real life telemetry from it rather than having something that you might check in every other day on. But as you say, it is, it is an irony that going online is profoundly risky, but it's also the only way to manage that risk, particularly in an environment where people don't show up at the office every day. Yeah, the idea of bring your own device wouldn't fly back in the day, would it? it? But we did have build your own device when I joined Sophos. You were expected to order the parts and construct your first PC. That was a rite of passage. It was quite nice. You could choose within reason, couldn't you? <laughs> Should I go for a little bit less disk space and then maybe I can have eight megabytes of RAM? <laughs> it was the era of uh, 486s, floppies and faxes when we started, wasn't it? And I remember the first Pentiums came into the company and it was, uh, people were like, wow, look at it. What are your three top tips for today's cybersecurity operators? Because they're, they're very different from the, ooh, let's just watch out for malware and then when we find it, we'll go and clean it up. One of the things that's changed so much since then, though, Paul, is that back in the day you had an infected machine and everyone was desperate to get the machine disinfected and an executable virus would, would infect all the executables on, on the computer and getting it back into a good state was really haphazard because if you missed any infection, uh, assuming you could disinfect, you'd be back to square one as soon as that, that file was, was invoked. And we didn't have, as we have now, digital signatures and manifests and things that where you could get back to a known state. 
It's as though the malware was actually the key part of the problem because people expected you to clean it up and basically remove the fly from the ointment and then hand the jar of ointment back and say, it's safe to use now, folks. The motivation has changed because back then, the virus writers wanted to infect as many files as possible, generally, and they were often just doing it for fun, whereas these days, they want to capture a system. So they're not interested in infecting every executable, they just want control of that machine for whatever purpose. In fact, there might not even be any infected files during the attack, because they could break in because they've bought a password from somebody, and then when they get in, instead of saying, hey, let's let a virus loose, which will set off all sorts of alarms, let's just find what cunning sysadmin tools are already there that we can use in ways that a real sysadmin never would. In many ways, it wasn't really malicious until you got to... Certain, well, I remember being horrified when I read the description of a particular virus called Ripper, which actually, instead of just infecting files, would actually go around and twiddle bits on your system silently. And so over time, your, any file or any sector on your, your disk could become subtly corrupt. And so six months down the line, you might suddenly find out that your system was unusable and you'd have no idea what changes had been made. And I remember that was quite shocking to me because before then, viruses had been annoying. Some of them had sort of political motives and some of them were just people experimenting and having fun. The first viruses were written as a intellectual exercise. And I remember back in the day, we couldn't really see any way that uh, you could actually monetize infections, even though they were annoying, because you had that problem of how do you say, you know, pay it into this bank account or uh, leave the money under this, uh, under this rock in, in the local park was always susceptible to being picked up by, uh, by the authorities. And then, of course, uh, Bitcoin came along <laughs> and, and made the whole malware thing commercial, uh, commercially viable, which until then it, it wasn't. So let's get back to those top tips, Matt. What do you advise as the three things that cybersecurity operators can do that give them, if you like, the biggest bang for the buck? Okay, so everyone's heard this before. But patching, you've got to patch and you've got to patch often. The longer you leave patching, it's like not going to the dentist. The longer you leave it, the worse it's going to be. You're more likely to hit a, a breaking change. But if you're patching often, even if you do hit a problem, you can probably cope with that. And over time, you'll, you'll make your applications better anyway. Indeed, it's much, much easier to upgrade from OpenSSL 3.0 to 3.1 than it is to upgrade from OpenSSL 1.0.2 to OpenSSL 3.1. You know, if somebody's probing your environment and they can see that you're not keeping your, uh, up to date and you're patching, it's, well, what else is there that we can exploit? It's worth another look. Whereas somebody who's fully patched, they're probably more on top of things. It's like the old Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. As long as you've got your towel, they assume that you've got everything else. If you're fully patched, you're probably on top of everything else. Okay, so we're patching. What's the second thing we need to do? You can only patch what you know about. And so monitoring, you've got to know your estate. And I think knowing what's running on your machines, the, uh, there's been a lot of effort put in recently with the, uh, the S-bombs, you know, the, the software bill of materials, because people have understood it's the whole chain. Exactly. It's no good getting an alert that says there's a vulnerability in such and such a library. And you're like, okay, what do I do with that knowledge? Knowing what machines are running, knowing what's running on those machines. And, uh, and of course, bring it back to patching. Have they actually installed the patches? 
Or has a crook snuck in and gone, aha, they think they're patched. So if they're not double checking that they've stayed patched, maybe I can downgrade one of these systems and open myself a back door forevermore because they think they've got the problem sorted. So I guess the cliche there is always measure, never assume. Now, I I think I know what your third tip is, and I suspect it's going to be the hardest slash most controversial. So let me see if I'm right. What is it? I would say it's kill or cull. Over time, systems accrete, uh, designed and built, and people move on. Accrete? <laughs> sort of like calcification. Or barnacles, yeah. Barnacles yes. on, the, on, the, on the great ship of, uh, of your company. They could be doing useful work, but they may be doing it with technology that was in vogue five years ago, ten years ago, when the system was designed. We all know how developers love a, love a new tool set or a new language. And when you're monitoring, you need to keep an eye on these things. And, and if that system's getting longer in the tooth, you've got to take the hard decision and uh, kill it off. And, the long, and again, going same with patching, the longer you leave it, the more likely you are to turn around and say, what does that system do? So I think it's very important to always think about life cycle when you uh, implement a new system. Think about, OK, this is my version one. How am I going to kill it? When's it going to die? Put some expectations out there for the business, for your internal customers. And, it, and, and I think the same goes for external customers as well. So, Matt, what's your advice for what I'm aware can be a very difficult job for someone who's in the security team? Typically, and this gets harder as the company gets larger, to help them sell that idea. You are no longer allowed to code with OpenSSL version one. You have to move to version three. I don't care how hard it is. How do you get that message across when everyone else in the company is pushing back at you? First of all, you can't dictate. You need to give standards. You need to give clear standards, and those need to be explained. That sale that you got because we shipped early without fixing a problem, it'll be overshadowed by the bad publicity that we had a vulnerability or we shipped with a vulnerability. It's always better to prevent than to fix. Absolutely. I understand from both sides it is difficult. It comes back to the longer you leave it, the harder it is to change. And it's setting these things out with, I'm going to use this version and then I'm going to set and forget. No, you have to look at your code base and know what's in your code base and say, I'm relying on these libraries, I'm relying on these, these, these utilities and so on. And say, you need to be aware that all of those things are subject to change and, and face up to it. So it sounds as though you're saying that whether the law starts to tell software vendors that they must provide a software bill of materials, an SBOM, as you mentioned earlier, or not, you really need to maintain such a thing inside your organization just so you can measure where you stand on a cybersecurity footing. You can't be reactive about those things. It's no good saying that vulnerability that was splashed all over the press a month ago, we have now concluded that we are safe. <laughs> That's no good. <laughs> and the reality is, is that everyone's going to be hit with these mad scrambles to fix vulnerabilities. There's some big ones on the horizon, potentially, with things like encryption. Someday, NIST might announce that we no longer trust anything to do with RSA. And everybody's going to be in the same boat. Everyone's going to have to scramble to implement new quantum-safe cryptography. At that point, it's going to be how quickly can you get your fix out? Everyone's going to be doing the same thing. If you're prepared for it, 
if you know what to do and you've got a good understanding of of your infrastructure and your code, if you can get out there at the head of the pack and say, oh, well, we did it in days rather than weeks, then that's a commercial advantage as well as being the right thing to do. So let me summarise your three top tips into what I think have become four and see if I've got them right. Tip one, good old patch early, patch often. Waiting two months like people did back in the WannaCry days. That wasn't satisfactory six years ago. It's certainly far, far too long in 2023. Even two weeks is too long. You need to think, if I need to do this in two days, how could I do it? Tip number two is monitor, or in in my cliche words, always measure, never assume, so that you can make sure that the patches that are supposed to be there really are, and so that you can actually find out about those servers in the cupboard under the stairs that somebody forgot about. Tip number three is kill slash cull, meaning build a culture in which you are able to dispose of products that are no longer fit for purpose. And a sort of auxiliary tip four is be nimble, so that when that kill slash cull moment comes along, you can actually do it faster than everybody else, because that's good for your customers, and it also puts you, as you say, at a commercial advantage. Have I got that right? Sounds like it. Four simple things to do this afternoon. <laughs> yes. Like cybersecurity in general, they are journeys, are they not, rather than destinations? Yes, and don't let best be the enemy of better or good. So uh, patch, monitor, kill or cull, and be nimble and be ready for change. Matt, that's a great way to finish. Thank you so much for stepping up to the microphone at short notice. As always, for our listeners, if you have any comments, you can leave them on Naked Security or contact us on social at Naked Security. And it now remains only for me to say, as usual, until next time, stay Stay secure. secure.